Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. More than a million Ohioans have diabetes. I'll talk with a doctor about that in a moment. John Marshall High School in Cleveland was recently honored at an educational summit in Washington for their handling of mental health issues among students. I'll talk with someone from the school. In about 23 minutes, I'll have more about mental health with someone from the American Psychiatric Association Foundation. And in the second half hour, I'll talk to someone with each side of Ohio's state issue, two. That's the recreational marijuana issue that's being decided on November 7th. First up on Columbus Perspective on the phone with me. We've talked to him before. It's Dr. Griffin Rogers, who is the director of the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. It's part of the National Institutes of Health. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for talking to us. We're going to talk about diabetes. Some information online about that. There's a million Ohioans that have diagnosed diabetes, 11% of the adult population. That's right. In fact, diabetes in Ohio, Ohio ranks 16th among all the U.S. states in terms of the prevalence of of diabetes. And there's another 8% who have prediabetes, meaning that their blood sugars are high, but not quite high enough yet. Uh, to be categorized as diabetes, but in time, many of them may go on to develop diabetes. And uh, another quarter of a million who have diabetes and don't know it, do they not know it because they're being ignorant of their own health, or do they truly not have symptoms? What's going on there? I think the the, the latter. Uh, diabetes is one of these conditions that some of the side effects uh or, or, or the, the symptoms uh, may be attributable to something else. When the blood sugar is too high, though, for prolonged periods of time, what people begin to experience are symptoms like uh, excessive thirst or excessive urination, uh, blurred vision. Uh, and you can see these are somewhat nonspecific, and the person could attribute it to something else. But certainly, if you have a family history, if you're over uh, age 50, uh, if diabetes in runs in your family, uh, certain racial and ethnic groups are at higher risk, uh, and if you're overweight or obese, those symptoms may be telling you that you have diabetes and you should go in to be tested. I'm kind of curious about what role diet plays in this. If somebody is very close to being diabetic, pre-diabetes, and maybe have had it for years, and they're very close to going over that edge, could the holiday season with all the cookies and cakes and overeating for six weeks put you over the edge? Is that part of the contributing factor? Yeah, it certainly could, not directly, but perhaps indirectly. Um, certainly the the excess cookies and sweets and, and, and fats can contribute to excessive weight gain. That weight gain could stress the uh, pancreas even more. Uh, leading to a circumstance that we called uh, insulin resistance. And it's the insulin resistance over time that ultimately uh, leads to individuals who we call type 2 diabetes patients uh, actually manifesting their disease. Of course, once you have diabetes, what you eat can affect the, the local swings in your blood glucose levels. Uh, and so that's something that... Uh, working with your your private care um, provider uh, and perhaps a dietitian can kind of put you on the right track or or path in terms of what are the better foods that you can uh, ingest to keep your blood sugar closer to a, a normal range. 
the recommended dietary guidelines call for several hundred carbs per day in a normal diet. Is that too high? Should people be cutting down on their carbs in general? Well, uh, not necessarily. I mean, that's something that really has to be individualized and personalized uh, with your health care provider. Uh, uh, factors that go into that equation is, you know, how much uh, you're exercising, you know, how physically active you are, what your age is, uh, you know, what your metabolic rate is. And so uh, it's hard to sort of give one prescription for everyone. It's better to speak with your health care provider about that. The ABCs of diabetes, what are they, doctor? So the ABCs are a little mnemonic that we use. Uh, the A stands, these are for people who have diabetes. The A stands for the A1C test. It's a blood test that determines what your average blood sugar has been over the preceding three months. This test is done in your doctor's office, uh, and uh, people uh, may need to check their blood glucose at home as well periodically. The B stands for blood pressure, and the C stands for cholesterol. And those three things together, the blood glucose, the blood pressure, and the cholesterol, all have a a synergistic effect in damaging the blood vessels uh, and the nerves. So all three of those wanna you want to keep and work with your healthcare provider in terms of what your goals are uh, to keep those three numbers, your A, B, and Cs, uh, uh, within a, a range that you uh, have sort of determined with your healthcare provider. Do you see a cure or, or some sort of a, a fix that will make living with diabetes uh, almost irrelevant at some point? Well, you know, um, physical activity and uh, healthy eating plan uh, plan are are still a very good uh, prescription for for most Americans. For those who are overweight or obese, losing a substantial fraction of their weight will, if you're pre-diabetic, may prevent you from developing diabetes. And if you have diabetes, it'll make it easier to cure. There are a number of um, new medications uh, that have been developed, uh, either alone or in combination with existing medicine, which not only uh, maintain the blood sugar in, in a, the sort of a, a, the gold range over longer periods of time, but they also are associated with the weight loss. And that weight loss and, and the metabolic benefits of that uh, can't be um, uh, overstated. And so I think we're in a good position now, but of course, uh, at the end of the day, you do want to prevent a disease. Better to present it, prevent it than to ultimately cure it. Talking with Dr. Griffin Rogers, just a couple of minutes to go. He's with the Director of National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. We've all gone through those periods where we have low blood sugar, where we get the shakes and, you know, just feel awful until we have a cookie or something. Is that indicative of any sort of a, of a diabetes-related problem when, when that happens to someone? Not necessarily. I mean, I think people, um, for a variety of reasons, they're either too busy or, or, or other things and are unable to eat for periods of time. And, and so, yes, you're right. We all uh, have experienced that, that sense of your blood sugar uh, dropping too low. That isn't necessarily indicative of the fact that you have either diabetes or or pre-diabetes, but it just, you know, tells you that you should be more attentive with, um, you know, what what, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. 
One thing that I uh, neglected mentioning when we talked about uh, physical activity and and, and uh, a diabetes a meal plan is getting enough sleep. That's really the, the third leg to the stool. And adults should get somewhere between seven to eight hours sleep uh, each night. Children and teens need a little bit more sleep. And we know that people who are deprived of sleep over the long term uh, will have adverse uh, effects on both your weight as well as your blood glucose control uh, over the long run. Dr. Rogers, do you have a, uh, a website to recommend? Sure. For your listeners who'd like to get more uh, information about what we've talked about today and, and other aspects of prediabetes, diabetes, weight control, they can visit our website at niddk.nih.gov, or they can visit us on social media at niddk.gov. Okay, Dr. Griffin Rogers with the National Institutes of Health. Thanks for your time and the information today. Dave, it's always a pleasure and hope to talk to you soon. Science is not an opinion. People come before pipelines. It's not too late to act on climate. No one is above the law. At Earth Justice, we hold these beliefs to be self-evident. As a national legal nonprofit fighting for your right to a healthy environment, we are 150-plus lawyers representing clients free of charge because now, more than ever, the Earth needs a good lawyer. No one fights more cases on the environment than Earth Justice. And we win because these are fights we cannot lose. We win for scientists so they can serve at the EPA. We win at the Supreme Court because clean water is for everyone. We win against fossil fuel plants so communities can breathe freely. If you believe what we believe, then help us fight the good fight and help us keep winning by going to earthjustice.org today. That's earthjustice.org. We put our lives on the line for our country. We braved the unknown. We did what we were told. And we lit up. Our cigarette packs were as valuable as the packs on our back. Maybe more. At one point, cigarettes were part of our daily ration. Smoke them if you got them. And boy, we were smoking them. Bumming the smoke was the norm. It was an escape from the reality of dirt, sweat, and forgetting how many days you were so far from home. Never had to worry so long as you had a light. And the smoking lamp was lit. If that was you then, get your lungs screened now. Surviving lung cancer starts with a scan. Learn more at ScreenYourLungs.org. And thank you for your service. This PSA was made possible by industry funding and guidance from lung cancer patient groups. My muscles ached. I was tired all the time. My son had a full-blown asthma attack. It came out of nowhere. The unsettling thing about some symptoms is... I had a fever and these terrible headaches. You don't always know what's causing them. It was Lyme disease from a tick bite. I had Zika virus from a mosquito. He had a reaction to cockroach allergens. Threats to your health can come from unexpected places. Get the facts. Visit pestworld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association.
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me from Cleveland is Alicia Patton, who is a Planning Center Instructional Aide for John Marshall High School in Cleveland. How are you? All right, and you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. You were just recognized at a summit, America's Healthiest School Leaders Summit in Washington. Congratulations for that. Tell us a little bit about uh, what that summit was about. Thank you. The summit was for Title I schools that prioritize the physical, social, and emotional health of their staff and students. Your area involves the mental health and self-esteem, that type of thing, with students, right? Right, social-emotional learning. So tell us a little bit about what you do there. Well, my room is set up for when students have infractions in school with their peers or staff, or unfortunately when there may be traumas at home. We use the Cassell 5 core competency to help them understand how to deal with those things, which are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. So in each of those areas, depending on what has occurred, we try to guide them and give them ways to learn and be able to combat some of the things that they're facing. So when a student is struggling with these issues, have they come to you or have you been alerted somehow? How does the connection get made? It, it, it's both. Um, sometimes they're referred here and then they also have the option of what they call what we call a self, where um, especially depending on the level of the self, if it's at you know a high degree, they know they can just instantaneously come in my room. But if it's at uh, a more mild level, those things and any other uh, traumas from teachers or what have you, they have to get a referral that is done by the principal to say the duration of the time, whether it's one period, a couple of periods, half a day, all day, a couple of days, it's just according to the situation, the duration of how long they're in my room. Is there a difference in the way that you communicate with male and female students on these issues? No, actually, I try to keep it pretty consistent and even depending on what the situation is. It's not so much for me, I don't know about others, as the gender, although we know there are varying things in different genders sometimes that may occur, but I try to stay consistent all the way around with whatever I do and whatever I say to them. How long have you been uh, involved with either John Marshall High School or just in education in general? Uh, 20 plus years. Congratulations on that. Uh, Thank you. Have you seen a difference in today's students compared to 15, 20 years ago in terms of their demeanor, their boldness, their depression? Are they different? Unfortunately, yes, I have. And maybe 10 or 15 years ago when one of my nieces who had a son graduating, uh, you know, as a senior and she was saying the children are different. And I was like, "Mm, maybe not so much. But now, unfortunately, so many more things are happening to them as opposed to maybe when you or I maybe came up, it was still a lot more adult situations that were occurring where now a lot more things are there in the forefront of it. And especially, unfortunately, with the time of COVID, I can attest to so many of my students were the caretakers of their home because their parents no longer had their jobs. So that is a whole 360 from probably how you or I grew up. 
Yeah. You've got, uh, obviously, you know, we were all kids at one point and we know how, uh, I mean, m- most of us, I don't think, would want to be a kid again <laughs> to go through <laughs> to go through that life. But it's even more difficult now with social media and then you throw a pandemic on top of it. There's just been a lot of chaos in the last few years. Unfortunately, and yeah, that's that's a whole nother uh, ball game that uh, social media that that was something we still didn't have either. You know, so yeah, it's a whole nother realm. When you talk to kids, let's say it's a self-esteem or a depression issue. Is a lot of that driven by things like social media or is it home life? What are some of the, the things that are happening to these kids? Uh, well, it's a combination of things for most of them. And unfortunately, maybe for so many of these uh, kids nowadays, parents are younger and younger. So maybe some of the guidance and foundation and stability and different help that you or I may have received, they are pretty much winging it and are pretty much still kids themselves. So a lot of the things that maybe we would have been taught or they could have been taught, they haven't been. So they're going by what they see and what their household looks like or their neighborhood. And that's a whole nother thing in and of itself. So I come from the viewpoint of uh, a positive attitude can change your life. So no matter what your household, your environment, your community, the only person you can govern is yourself. So my job is to help them understand that I am trying to make you be the most productive adult you can be when you leave these four walls. Talking with Alicia Patton, she is a planning center instructional aide for John Marshall High School in Cleveland, was uh, recognized last weekend at America's Healthiest School Leaders Summit. Were you uh, nominated by your peers for this or how did that all work out? Well, I'm not 100% of that total process because our school psychologist had sent all our things in. And so she is out right now. So because she was, I stepped in because I'm the next person doing this Ah. stuff. Mm -hmm. And so how that all worked and what she, you know, sent in and what have you, we haven't even had a chance to go over that in and of ourselves. But I do know that there were like nine schools that met all criteria. We weren't one of those schools, but, you know, I'm glad we got it in. It was very, uh, very good program. And we had a lot of different type folks doing the speaking um, from Chelsea Clinton to Chef Lovely. You know what I'm saying? It was a plethora of people covering all the different areas and topics that they utilized for us being able to be one of the healthiest schools in America. And it was a very good format. Um, it was engaging, and I hope we can get more wins next time on our list and maybe turn into an all-star school. We're going to keep pushing and hope we make it back next year. What are some of the things that can really help with the environment in school, with the attitude of kids? I'm thinking things like sports, obviously, is one one area that gets kids engaged. You know, the arts, there's all kinds of different programs that might be available but might be challenging these days for schools to present and make sure that all kids have the opportunity. Yes, and I'm glad to say that our school, actually, I would 
take another I don't know how long to uh, cover the things in the areas that we utilize and have for our school for our students in this building to keep them engaged unfortunately every building doesn't have these many uh, opportunities I'm talking from our golf team just one Senate our soccer team we have excellent basketball and, you know, very in other sports. But then on the flip side, we have an outstanding um, band who does a lot of events in the community, even with the Browns and different things at varying times and those type of things. Then we have had an outstanding chess club. So we cover a lot of different areas and things for the students to have and to utilize here, which is something that I think helps all the way around. In addition to me, you know, being the PCIA, we have WAVE, which is in all our schools that's winning against violent environments, where our students go through a three-day training to learn how to help their peers uh, with their different arguments and things. Um, we do now, which is not on our watch, for bullying to, you know, combat that. So that's in all of our schools. And it's just according to the type of students you get to help you with implementing that to their peers and what have you. You need a variety of all those type of things to help with the students because whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not, whether we want to believe it or not, students are coming to school to be social besides their education. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand that and can't help in some of those ways for it to be positive, that's where you have problems. And that is vital because, you know, there are all these reports coming out these days about how kids, especially young boys and teens, are lonely and isolated. They're staying home. They're watching, you know, playing video games or online all the time, and they're not getting out and being uh, socially active with friends. And school is, is the last resort that still keeps all this together. And that's the great thing with this healthier, uh, America's Healthier Schools is because a lot of the things of the, the folks who won and what have you, what you did, you understood that there are varying and different types of ways to get these kids engaged in being physical because unfortunately they are a lot less physical than we were as far as going outside and playing and different things. So the Healthier Generation program is great with helping. You have avenues. Um, it's something called the walk-in classroom. And then as a PCIA, this is not maybe so much outside, but it does um, implement some of that with the outside and mental health under the um, Harmony, the SEL from Harmony, of varying ways for students to just have conversations that are positive about you know, it's something as general from um, Harmony that I've used for students. What makes a good friend and different things like that to just get them engaged in conversations that are more positive than some of the negative things that come from the social media. That's great. Talking with Alicia Patton, she's a planning center instructional aide for John Marshall High School in Cleveland, which was just recognized at the America's Healthiest School Leaders Summit in Washington. Anything else you'd like to add? I'm glad for the opportunity. I enjoyed it, and I hope we make it back next year. I think it's a very good program, and as many schools that we can, it keeps growing and growing. I wasn't here in the ground uh, swell of it, but I'm here now and hope to continue to be here. Alicia, uh, thanks so much for your time, and congratulations on the recognition. 
All right. Thank you. Lexi spent more than six years in foster care. Before I was adopted, I felt alone. With help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, Lexi now has a forever family and the foundation for a bright future. Adoption changed me for the better. I feel like I can be whoever I want to be. You can help find permanent homes for children still lingering in foster care. Learn more at DaveThomasFoundation.org. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Were you exposed to hazardous materials while serving in the military and have an illness or condition as a result? If so, you may be eligible for VA benefits and services. Whether you need health care or want to file a disability compensation claim related to military exposures, VA is here to help. Visit va.gov forward slash military dash exposures to learn more and apply today. You served your country. Now let VA serve you. Coming up in a few minutes, I'll talk with both sides of State Issue 2. That's the recreational marijuana issue on the November 7th ballot. I'll start out with talking with someone from the organization against it, followed by the organization for it. Those two segments begin in less than 10 minutes. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Rawl Andrews, Jr., who is the executive director of the American Psychiatric Association Foundation. How are you? Not bad, Dave. How about yourself? I'm good. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what the American Psychiatric Association Foundation is. The APA Foundation is the charitable education and research arm of the American Psychiatric Association, which is the largest membership body of physician psychiatrists in the world. Uh, The mission of the APA Foundation is to promote a mentally healthy nation for all where we live, learn, work, worship, and play. Tuesday, October 10th was World Mental Health Day. What does that mean? World Mental Health Day uh, is celebrated every October 10th, and the theme for this year's uh, World Mental Health Day is mental health is a universal human right. And what that means to us is that everybody at any age, at any stage, is entitled to affordable, quality mental health care. Mental health, uh, the focus on it, telehealth is becoming more involved in it. And also just uh, post-pandemic, a lot of attention on mental health awareness. What's your take on all that? So it is unfortunate that it took a pandemic for all of us to finally realize that we all have mental health and we all have mental health needs. But we are grateful uh, at the APA and the foundation that folks are not only starting to talk more about mental health and the mental health needs of themselves and their loved ones, but that there are also different action steps happening nationally, regionally, and locally to get people better connected to care. And one of the things that we think is going to be an outgrowth of that is a campaign we have launched called Mental Health Care Works to further spur folks to getting the kind of supports and services that they need. How bad is this stigma still? A huge number, a high percentage of people either go through some sort of depression or 
other mental health disorder of some sort during the course of their life, yet it still seems to be a stigma. So we have uh, tried to outlaw the term stigma as part of our mental health care works campaign because in focus groups and other places, we have found that people don't always understand what stigma is, and stigma is not an action word, but it is a barrier to people getting the help they need. And so what we're trying to do with our campaign at the APA Foundation is to unpack stigma. So let's talk about your fear about mental health or mental health care. We can do something about that. Let's talk about you feeling embarrassed or ashamed about you or somebody you love who's struggling with a mental health care condition. We can do something about fear and shame. The other thing we can do something about is marginalization or discrimination. And if you feel like you've been discriminated or marginalized against, we can do something about that as well. So we have to get past a word and start treating, again, our mental health like our physical health, no different from diabetes. They don't talk about stigma. No different from heart disease. They don't talk about stigma. No different from high blood pressure. They don't talk about stigma. They talk about getting the help they need, and they're supported in getting the help they need. Talking with Rawl Andrews, Jr., Executive Director of the American Psychiatric Association Foundation. I've seen uh, studies of late that talk a lot about how mental health issues often pop up in youth, kids in their teens or perhaps even younger, and, and that that's kind of a key area to focus in on. It's absolutely a key area to focus on. Uh, although I'm not a medical doctor, uh, I have seen the research reports that show that as early as age of 10, Uh, We start seeing folks who are struggling with conditions. Uh, One of the things we're inviting folks to do as part of our campaign is to use all of the houses of medicine to promote whole health. And when we talk about whole health, again, we're talking about seeing your pediatrician for your child and talking to them about all of the things that are going on, Uh, whether that's diet, whether that's sleeplessness, whether that's easy agitation or withdrawal. Anything that might look like it's out of the ordinary, we want people to be focused on it. We also are aware of what we call adverse childhood experiences. And so sometimes people have trauma at an early age. It's untreated, undetected, and you carry that trauma into adulthood. So we got to be more attuned uh, to the needs of our young adults and our youth. They want to talk about this. And we have to be willing to meet them where they are, to notice when they're struggling, to figure out better ways through our campaign and 988 and other tools to talk about uh, what's really going on and then figure out what the right action steps are so that people can get the help they need at any age or at any stage. Conflicts, whether it be bullying or just, uh, you know, maybe uh, interactions on social media, any of that sort of thing. And now we've got, you know, this situation going on with Hamas and Israel. We've got a a contentious presidential election coming up. There's a lot of uh, tension in the air over all this kind of stuff, which can really have a lot of effect on some people. Yes, and and these are types of unfortunate and and tragic life experiences uh, are part of human life. You know, it is very significant that one of the themes for APA this year is social media. And our national, international president, Dr. Petros Lavunas, uh, has talked extensively with he and his team of leaders about how we help folks who are tied uh, to social media overuse. And so sometimes when the news is bad, 
we make ourselves feel worse whether we're in harm's way or watching remotely from a device. And so we have to figure out, again, how to notice that, how to talk about that if you or somebody you love is doing it and the right action steps. The most immediate one, if somebody is really traumatized by any of the foreign or domestic things you've discussed, is to please call or text 988, the National Crisis Helpline, and let's figure out how we can help you get uh, the support that you need. Talking with Raul Andrews, Jr., Executive Director, American Psychiatric Association Foundation. Where can folks find out more info online? So we want them to go to mentalhealthcareworks.org, www.mentalhealthcareworks.org, and you will find not only more information about our campaign and steps that you can take to get involved in this movement, uh, but you'll also find out a lot more information about the various programs that the APA Foundation has that deal with the youth mental health crisis in school, uh, that deal with workplace mental health issues, that deal with the work we're doing for frontline health care commissions, also the work that we do to help train future physician psychiatrists, as well as working with faith leaders across multiple denominations because they're trusted messengers who are in the movement with us. Raul Andrews, Jr. with the American Psychiatric Association Foundation. Thanks so much for your time and the information today. Thank you very much, and uh, let's get better outcomes because we need it. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Now a couple of segments about State Issue 2. Ohio already has medical marijuana. Issue 2 would legalize, regulate, and tax adult-use recreational marijuana for those 21 and over. They could also grow up to six plants individually and no more than 12 in a household with multiple adults. The group favoring it is called the Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol. And against it is the group Protect Ohio Workers and Families. I'll talk with people from both sides, starting with State Senator Mark Romanchuk. He's a Republican from Ontario near Mansfield. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. We're going to talk about State Issue 2, which is about recreational marijuana. I guess uh, as we record this, you were involved in a forum last night about that, right? I was. It was a forum. Uh, There was both the pro side and and no side, and uh, it lasted for about an hour, and it uh, uncovered some uh, very interesting things. Did you learn anything uh, one way or the other, either from input from people or, you know, maybe some ways that the other side is approaching this that you weren't aware of or or learned something about last night? Well, uh, there were most of the things I think we were aware of, and and basically they're ignoring the facts or ignoring the data that's come out of the other states that have already legalized. Um, They claim that the uh, reports and the research is somehow flawed. It's not, but that that's they're standing pretty uh, strong on that. But what the most interesting thing that came out is in the language, it says that the THC level in the marijuana product has to be a minimum of 35%. Now, 35% represents seven times stronger than what uh, weed had uh, as far as THC back in the 80s. Now, they denied that. Uh, they denied that, that that was the minimum. And uh, 
uh, they said it was a maximum. Well, their language says it's a minimum. So one of two things is going on. Either they're trying to hide that fact, which makes you know, this marijuana, industrial strong type of uh, marijuana, it's super strong if it's going to be that potent. But uh, when you look at the language, it absolutely says no less than 35% THC. So I'm not sure what they're saying, if they're mistaken or if they're not being truthful, but this is industrial grade type marijuana and it's very dangerous to the public. As uh, Ohioans decide whether to vote yes or no on this, uh, on allowing recreational marijuana, we've had medical marijuana now for a few years in Ohio. What's wrong with recreational marijuana, in your opinion? Well, my opinion, first of all, it is addictive. Uh, and it, we know that four out of 10 individuals who use marijuana go on to use a higher uh, potent drug. And, you know, I've been in the legislature for 10 years, and I've worked in the health and human services area. And I can tell you, I've heard countless stories about addiction and overdoses. And guess what? We have, we're in the middle of a drug epidemic in Ohio. In fact, Ohio leads the nation in overdoses per capita. So we're in the middle of a drug crisis. We should not be introducing and legalizing and making more available an addictive drug. It just doesn't make sense. Some of the funding from the taxes that come from this will be to set up anti-addiction programs and education, you know, similar to, to gambling and the quit line for smoking and that kind of thing. Do you feel that those won't be effective or what's your take on that? Well, it's interesting enough. They do admit the addiction side of this. That's why they, they funnel some of the money into addiction treatment. The state and the federal government are already spending hundreds of millions in addiction treatment. And we still are in the middle of a drug epidemic. That's number one. Number two, this other social equity piece is an absolute sham. And the reason it is, is over a third of the money of the taxes that are collected goes back to the actual industry. So that money has to be spent uh, on things, uh, on individuals who can maybe get back into the marijuana type business. And by the way, uh, you could be a convicted drug dealer in order to qualify for some of that money. So this was written behind closed doors. It was written in a Columbus law firm, and it hasn't seen the light of day until now. And there, the, the language is very cleverly written, and there are a lot of traps in here. And once people read it, they're going to find out that this is a this is a super bad deal for Ohio. Talking with State Senator Mark Romanchuk, he's a Republican from Ontario. What about folks who would say, you know, alcohol is a whole, whole lot worse than this, and it's legal, and, and you know, society still manages to operate? Well, it's the other way around, actually. Marijuana is much more potent, much more harmful to individuals than alcohol is. In fact, marijuana has long-term effects for our youth, and we know in states that have legalized the usage of uh, marijuana by our youth both accidentally and deliberately, has increases. It absolutely increases. And we see a lot of children ending up in emergency rooms because they they ingest uh, marijuana by mistake. So it's much more harmful. It's it's a bigger, much bigger problem than alcohol. And um, it, it's just a bad deal for Ohio. 
A survey came out not too long ago from uh, Fallen Research. This was more than 500 Ohioans uh, that were surveyed, and it showed pretty strong support for recreational marijuana. 68% of Democrats support it, 62% of independents, and among Republicans, 48% support, 46 are opposed. So it looks like it's it's got some pretty universal uh, support behind it. Well, look, the industry's been on this marketing campaign for two or three decades. And they've been saying over and over again, marijuana is okay, marijuana is good, marijuana can benefit our society. That's just not true. Uh, in fact, it's still a Schedule One drug with the federal government. What that means is the federal government has has labeled it as a dangerous drug. It's on the same list as LSD, heroin, and ecstasy. So the drug is dangerous. Uh, they've been marketing uh, what they believe are some kind of benefits, but it's just not true. And unfortunately, uh, until the public really digs into things, uh, uh, they probably, uh, as you just stated, have uh, some you know interest in marijuana, where in fact it's just very bad for the body. What is your take on the medical marijuana aspect in Ohio? Well, we have. It's legal here. Uh, we passed that in the legislature. And um, it is addressing those needs, uh, whatever they may be with regard to pain uh, and other chronic illnesses. Uh, So we are covering that. Um, It's very easy to get a medical marijuana card. um, And so there's really no need for recreational because the the medicinal side is being taken care of. Do you think that people who want marijuana for recreational purposes are finding ways. One person kind of told me that it was a little bit like Ohio's old fireworks law, where you had to sign a paper saying that you weren't going to set them off in Ohio when everybody mm-hmm. was anyway. Is it is there kind of a wink and a nudge thing about Ohio's medical marijuana law? Um, not with regard to the medical marijuana law that I'm aware of, but I will say this, the black market that's currently selling marijuana is hoping that this passes. Why is that? because it makes their market larger. And they'll be able to undercut the legal sellers of marijuana because they don't pay a tax, they don't have overhead. So the black market actually grows when you legalize marijuana. And with the growth of the black market, crime will go up. So therein lies the problem. That's why Ohioans will be, uh, you know, uh, they'll have to pay for the cleanup of all this carnage. The folks on the other side say that because marijuana is uh, not regulated and it's, you know, it's on the street and you don't know who you're getting it from or where it came from, that that's more dangerous than if it was a regulated product in Ohio. Yes, but again, the language clearly states that the THC level must be above 35 percent. That makes it very potent type marijuana and, and likely will be more potent than what's on the street. Uh, Because this has been genetically engineered and they have growing techniques that they can add all this THC level to the marijuana, uh, it becomes very potent. So it may be even more potent than what you can buy on the black market. Talking with State Senator Mark Romanchuk, he's a Republican from Ontario. 23 states have it. Are you seeing some big problems in some of the states that have recreational marijuana? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the states that have legalized, without a doubt, the data shows that traffic deaths go up, workplace injuries go up, 
crime goes up, and these ER visits by children uh, who've uh, ingested some marijuana go up. So it is not working out necessarily in those other states, and uh, the same kind of problems that have happened there will come to Ohio. Senator, is uh, there information online that you recommend folks go to to check out? Yeah, the name of the group is Protect Ohio Workers and Family. If you uh, Google that, uh, a, a website will come up and uh, give you all this information, hopefully, that uh, I've been able to communicate. State Senator Mark Romanchuk, Republican from Ontario. Anything else you'd like to add? No, just vote no on issue two. Uh, let's keep the state safe. We're currently in a drug epidemic. We don't, don't need to make it any worse. Senator, thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Take care. Now we'll look at the other side. With me is Tom Heron, who is a spokesperson for the Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for talking to us. We're going to talk about uh, State Issue 2, which uh, seeks to make recreational marijuana legal in Ohio. Can you talk a little bit about the movement and the, and, and the effort to put that on the ballot? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, th- there are several reasons why... Ohioans are going to support issue two uh, this November. Uh, First, it's really about justice. I mean, marijuana prohibition has been a complete failure. Um, Today, it is still far too easy for somebody with a minor involvement with the criminal justice system because of one mistake to have their lives upended. Um, You know, a minor marijuana conviction can adversely impact a person's ability to get a loan, to get a job, to get into school, or to find good, affordable housing. And issue two will correct that injustice by eliminating the disastrous policy of uh, marijuana prohibition. Issue two is also about patients. You know, here in Ohio, we have a very successful medical marijuana program uh, where we know, based on the last several years of experience here in the Buckeye State, that we can safely regulate the production and sale of marijuana products to ensure that they're they're safe, they're tested, and they're reliable. But the reality is that too many Ohioans still can't participate in the medical marijuana program. You know, maybe you're a veteran suffering from PTSD whose VA doctor is prohibited under federal law from issuing a recommendation for medical marijuana. Or maybe you're a cancer patient treated by one of the major health systems who also prohibit their doctors from issuing those recommendations. You know, issue two will remove those barriers and allow those patients the ability to access the medical marijuana products that they need. And issue two is also about economics. You know, the Drug Enforcement Policy Center at Ohio State University estimates that once our program is up and running, we could be generating over $400 million every single year in new tax revenue to the state of Ohio. It'll go to very important causes like social equity and local government funding, in addition to providing additional funding for substance abuse and addiction. So for all of these reasons, justice, patience, and economic development, issue two is going to be a really great thing for Ohio. What about people who say, Legalizing recreational marijuana just sends the wrong message for the youth of today, that it is uh, potentially destructive to them or uh, addictive and could lead to harder drugs or or other problems. Yeah, you know, uh, we're definitely entering the silly season uh, of politics here about a month before the election. 
it's been really regrettable to see the issue two opponents result to you know lies and scare tactics, putting out the same debunked and misleading reefer madness talking points. Um, we've, we've had regulated adult use programs in the United States for about a decade now. So we know what's happened uh, when states have started regulating adult use sales. We have actual data, we have actual facts that we can look to. And so let's talk about those facts. We know that in states that have regulated adult use sales, there is no impact on youth usage. It does not go up. And that makes perfect sense because right now in the unregulated market, in the black market, drug dealers don't check for ID. They don't care where they sell products and they don't care what those products look like. There are no advertising restrictions. There are no restrictions on product packaging in the black market. Compare that to the regulated market where, you know, under issue two, we want to regulate it like alcohol, which means you got to be 21 to buy it. You got to be 21 to use it. The dispensaries have to check ID. There are rules in place to prevent advertising that targets minors or the creation and packaging of products in ways that are attractive to children. So we know that a regulated market is the best way to keep marijuana out of the hands of kids. We also know that in these regulated markets, it's the best way to protect public health because in the black market, products aren't tested. The supply chain's not regulated. There are no rules governing how those products are created. In the regulated market, under issue two, products are tested before they ever make it to a dispensary shelf. So we know that those products aren't contaminated with mold or heavy metals or God forbid, you know, things that you see in the unregulated market like products contaminated with fentanyl. That doesn't happen in a legal regulated market. And we also know that regulated markets generate hundreds of millions of dollars in new tax revenue. Drug dealers don't pay taxes. So what we want to do is transition away from the black market. You know, people are already using marijuana. They're just buying it from drug dealers or they're buying it from dispensaries in Michigan and sending their tax revenue to that state up north. And we want to put an end to that. Talking with Tom Heron, he's a spokesperson for the Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol. Talk to me about this measure uh, allowing for homegrown marijuana. The state patrol has programs in the past where they use planes to fly over and find fields of illicit marijuana that's growing. And I realize that we're talking about a very small amount that could be grown by a person. But how does all that figure in and, and what happens if neighbors are suspicious, maybe somebody's growing too much of it, or, I mean, how, how is all that going to be regulated? Yeah, so so under issue two, there are actually more restrictions on home cultivation of cannabis than, than there are restrictions for the home ruin of beer. Under issue two, uh, people, adults, would be authorized to grow up to six plants or a maximum of 12 plants per household with explicit restrictions uh, to ensure that that uh, those marijuana plants are grown and locked in closed areas in uh, places that aren't accessible to children. Again, we want to regulate marijuana in much the same way we regulate alcohol. People can brew their own beer at home responsibly, and we think that uh, people can also cultivate marijuana in their own home responsibly, consistent with the express restrictions uh, included within Issue 2. We had uh, State Senator Mark Romanchuk of Ontario on right before you, who is uh, one of those speaking out against State Issue 2. One of the things that he said was that the language in your proposal 
calls for the THC level to be at a minimum of 35%, which he said was seven times stronger than what pot was back in the 1980s. Yeah, that's patently false. Under issue two, the cap on THC uh, plant material starts out at 35%. That's the maximum THC level. Uh, And that's also the maximum THC level within our medical marijuana program. Again, this is another example of issue two opponents, you know, resorting to complete falsehoods in an attempt to scare Ohio voters because they know when Ohio voters hear the facts, they support issue two. And that's why poll after poll after poll over the last several months have shown that 59 percent of Ohioans support issue two. I was going to talk to you about that, too. A poll from Fallen Research shows that 68 percent of Democrats support it, 62 percent of independents. And even among Republicans, 48% support, 46% oppose. If you were to paint a demographic that is most in favor of this or most against it, where does that line fall? You know, it doesn't seem to be much of a political issue. Yeah, I I agree. Um, People know what regulated programs look like. They've been to states that have started regulating adult-use marijuana sales, and they have seen firsthand that these programs work, the sky hasn't fallen, the boogeymen haven't shown up, Uh, regulated markets are better than unregulated markets. You get additional tax revenue, you protect public health, keep marijuana out of the hands of kids. These programs are successful. So uh, our, our proposal is popular across just about every demographic, whether it's political persuasion, well, what part of the state you live or age, et cetera. Uh, regulation of marijuana is popular. It's something that Ohioans want. And that's why we believe that Ohioans are going to come out and support issue two on Election Day. If this is approved and somebody is not interested in growing it on their own at all, they just want to have it available to them, what will they do? How will they find it? Do you have any idea how much it's going to cost? So, so under issue two, um, within nine months from the effective date, the state's required to start issuing uh, adult use dispensary licenses so that we can quickly provide an alternative uh, to the black market here in Ohio and provide you know, safe, tested, regulated, and taxed products. So our hope is that by the end of the year, if issue two passes, you know, by the end of 2024, uh, we will have um, an adult use program operational here in the state of Ohio. What will this do to the medical marijuana dispensaries? Great question. So under issue two, uh, we don't replace the medical marijuana program. The adult use program would operate side by side with the medical program. And that's really important because, as I mentioned, issue two is in large part about patients and, and to make sure that Ohio patients have the access to the medical marijuana products that they need. So uh, issue two um, will ensure that patients who are participating in the medical marijuana program still have access to those same medical marijuana products that they rely on. Even though theoretically the folks who are seeking medical marijuana might be a different crowd than the folks who are looking for recreational marijuana, could this start a price war between these two sets of dispensaries? Um, I I don't know that I'd call it a price war, but what I do think you'll see is that um, as the industry uh, and as the market continues to develop, I do think you'll see products become more affordable. You know, uh, we designed this uh, regulatory framework to ensure that we can put the black market out of business 
and also to ensure that Ohioans don't need to drive to Michigan. You know, the, the two biggest opponents of issue two are drug dealers and Michigan dispensary owners who know that they're going to lose business when issue two passes. Talking with Tom Heron again, he is a spokesperson for the Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol. And I wanted to go back quickly to the idea about the message it sends to youth. Do you really think that it in no way has any harm or could possibly cause any harm to the youth of today if they start young? I realize it's going to be illegal for them, but if it becomes easier for them to get a hold of, common sense would tell you that more youth will start smoking or using pot because it'll be more available. Could that not be harmful in the long run for some of them? Yes, sir. It's not about what I think, it's about what the data shows and what the facts are in the states that have already begun regulating the sale of marijuana to adults. And the facts are that youth usage does not increase. That's something that has been proven clearly in study after study after study. You know, one thing we all agree with is that kids shouldn't use marijuana. Our opponents think that the prohibition framework we have in place is just fine. That's doing a great job of keeping marijuana out of the hands of kids, and we know that's not true. We know that the best way to keep marijuana out of the hands of kids is by establishing a regulated framework overseen by state regulators so that if a dispensary does sell marijuana to a child, they'll lose their license in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, that they've invested into their business. I mean, it makes no business sense to break the law and to lose the investment that you've made in that business. Um, And that's why these programs have been so successful. And that's why state after state after state continues to implement an adult use program. Tom Heron with a coalition to regulate marijuana like alcohol. It's state issue two in November. Anything else you'd like to add, Tom? Well, again, I just want to reiterate issue two is about justice. It's about economics and it's about patience. Regulated adult use markets have worked throughout the country. We know how to do this in Ohio. We've been regulating the production and sale of marijuana under our medical program for several years now. We're going to build on that experience. We're going to build on that success to put the black market out of business and to put millions of dollars in new revenue into the state of Ohio through the adult use tax. So I would ask all of your listeners to come out on Election Day and vote yes on issue two. If folks want more info, do you have uh, information online? Uh, We do indeed. Uh, You can visit our website at www.justlikealcohol.com. All right, Tom Heron, thanks so much for your time and the information today. appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. A couple of additional pieces of information about State Issue 2. Researchers at Ohio State University have estimated that Ohio could see between $276 million and $403 million in revenue by the fifth year of an adult use program. The University of Washington found teens were more likely to use marijuana after it was legalized. Other researchers reported a decrease in use among high school students in states with legal markets. The Columbus Dispatch reports that cases of kids younger than six who ingested marijuana edibles increased by more than 1,300 percent from 2017 to 21. That's according to an analysis of information from National Poison Data Systems. Most exposures occurred at home, and nearly 23 percent of patients were admitted to the hospital. Once again, Election Day is November 7th. Election Day, the polls will be open from 6.30 in the morning until 7.30 p.m. 
this has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.